I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guest, Mike Thompson. Mike is an entrepreneur, matchmaker, sales professional, storyteller, father, and an athlete with a natural curiosity about people. He has been in the recruitment agency industry for 13 years and launched Spark at the end of 2021 to change how top talent can be attracted. Our conversations start with his story. As usual, this is a podcast about stories. But here ended with a chat about recruitment. Because for years I have thought like Mike, but never knew how to implement changes. Also how to verbalize it. I also must apologize in advance as the sound quality of this episode is not the best. Mike was recording on a minimalistic share of his space, resulting in a very tricky acoustics to work with when editing. We did the best we could. Listen to this episode and give me feedback in case you agree or disagree on his mission. So let's enjoy his story. Welcome, Mike. I'm super happy that you're here today. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yes, Mike. And I know you have a story about the why and the what. I'm very, very curious about it. Why you want to bring that story? For sure. Thanks for asking me, by the way. A lot of the times in the nature of the work that I do in the recruitment space, we overvalue experience and what people have done. And we lose touch of why people have done what they've done. The essence of individual stories and how to get to know people is through the why. And I can best describe this through my aha moment that I experienced about 10 years ago. And it happened to be during a recruit. Okay, perfect. So tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So my background, I, believe it or not, stumbled into the recruitment industry. I actually graduated with a finance degree at a Canadian university where I played competitive hockey for four years. Coming out of university was really a unique experience for me. It was 2009, not knowing what was going on in the economy because I was in a bubble, not only for school, but for work. Uh, it was a really interesting experience for me to, to, to get into the workforce. So my background is, you know, business finance mixed with being a competitive athlete. So the combination of those things was, uh, I found, I thought at the time was quite unique. I am curious about Mike, the kind of person that is in there who doesn't have any titles, no finance, no hockey player. Who is that Mike? Yeah, great question. And I think it took a long time for me to find out who I was. It's a deep question. On the surface, we're always taught to think about what we do or where we go to school or, you know, hobbies we have to identify who we are. And, you know, for me, I can proudly say now that, you know, I'm multifaceted in terms of who I am. I'm a father. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a partner. I'm an athlete and I'm a friend to a lot of people. So I wear multiple masks, but at the core of who I am, I like to consider myself a storyteller. I love telling stories. When does your story start? It starts with, believe it or not, a recruit. And it's funny, we're talking about not to be defined what you've done, but my story and my aha moment really starts with a recruit I was doing years ago for a director of finance role. And the role itself 
was for a small startup client of mine. I remember interviewing this woman who was working for a larger company. She had spent her entire career working for a big company and she wanted to apply for this startup job. Now, as a recruiter, you know, my experience had told me on paper, this doesn't work. Usually people that, you know, when I'm recruiting for startup clients, they want people that work in startup environments, vice versa. You know, we can get into the, the, the pros and cons of that. I'm interviewing this woman and I ask her, why do you want to apply for this job? She said to me, she said, it's a little embarrassing, but I'm a single mom and my daughter is you know, a teenager and I'm seeing signs that she has the makeup to be an entrepreneur. My entire career, my background is not startup and small business. So I feel like I want to get this job. I want to do this job so that I can be a role model for her and help guide her through that journey. She said, so it's kind of embarrassing and kind of weird. And, you know, I hope that that's okay. I remember reflecting and saying, that is the greatest reason I've ever heard of anybody wanting to apply for a job. You know, this story that she told me, told me more about her as a person and a candidate than any resume had ever told me up until this point. I was so excited to have this story to know because she was the perfect candidate for this job. Talk about someone that was selfless, resourceful, focused, determined, you know, purpose-driven, and definitely motivated to do a good job. There was no better candidate for this job. I felt super excited to represent her. Now, unfortunately, Danielle, there's no happy ending to this story because it didn't end up working out for her, but that's kind of what catapulted me to do what we do now. Do you share this uh, aha moment with someone in the industry that maybe kind of say, no, it's not going to work or everybody was super agreeing with you? So I was kind of alone in that. I had this, this conversation, this interview with her, and I was super excited to present her to the client and say, like, I found your person. This is the candidate. Trust me. And he said, okay, send, send me your resume. And he looked at it and said, Mike, she's not a fit. She's been big company. She would have a hard time adjusting to the startup nature of our business. So we're going to pass. I was like, no, 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 you have to understand. Listen, this is why she wants to do it. She's perfect for the job. And I, and I retold the story. And he just said, unfortunately, it's going to be too big of a learning curve. And, and I only want to look at people that have been in startup before. And that was what started triggering me on the just the inefficiencies of the entire hiring process and, and how we're overvaluing what people have done instead of really understanding why people have done and why they want to do what they do, because that's what's unique and special about people and, and really uncovers their motives and, and what makes them tick. And that's going to be the best predictor for future success, in my opinion. So what happened then? This wasn't a happy ending. And how did you move forward? I would like to say it would be, it would be a great story if it was like, yes, from this moment years ago, this is what what happened, but it stuck with me. And I went back and, and was recruiting the way, the way I was. And, you know, that was kind of the start that had me second guess why we recruited the way we did. And, and I went back and I, and I spent years battling the machines and, you know, the machines is, and I'll tell you why is the hiring process is very automated and it's very narrow in terms of the scope. You write a job description that has required skills and experiences that are loaded into a computer. When you send your resume, if those keywords don't match up to what they're doing, you don't even get a second look. You're only limiting yourself to those, those keywords. So I found myself in my career coaching people on how to insert keywords into their resume instead of trying to understand their story. I was trying to win the game instead of get to know people and help them tell their story. 
it got to a point that I really didn't like my job and I didn't like what I was doing. I was providing no value. I was just, you know, here telling people, Hey, if you put this word in your resume more times, it's going to get us through this technique that'll get you to an interview and we'll see what happens. And that's, that was the value I was providing to people. And I didn't like it. I, I spent some time thinking maybe the industry wasn't for me and that I should go and do something else because I'd lost passion and lost energy in terms of doing it. And then the pandemic hit, forced us all to back into our homes and look inward in terms of why do I do what do I, what I do and what do I want to do next? I realized for me, rather than running away from the industry, to change it, to understand that there's a better way of doing it and there's a better way of hiring in general. So I founded Spark Recruiting in the heat of the pandemic. We launched in January of this year and we have a mission to change hiring for everybody and really inject the human element back into the process to tell everybody's story, to make it a better experience overall. That sounds really interesting. I see that you are a small speckles uh, against this huge machine of recruiting. As you said, it is already very established and they have their own way. So how do you see that you can change the whole style? Yeah, and I think it, it goes to something I like to call micro disruption. When you think about changing the institution of recruiting and how people have done it for years and where it's gotten to this point, it's daunting. And to think about any disruption or transformation effort, it would take a lot, a lot of resources, a lot of time. But if you can change the process from a micro level and have a small impact, that's going to have a ripple effect and only get more and more and more. So I believe that I can't do this alone. I don't want to do this alone. But if I can make the experience better for candidates and for hiring managers, they're going to demand better experiences from other people they work with to hire. That's going to force them to elevate their experiences as well. I'm not looking at owning it and being the only person that does it. I want everybody to do it this way because I can't represent everybody. I can't hire for everybody. But what I can do is create great experiences for some that is going to force them to push others to elevate their experience and have that moment that I had where it's about the people. They're not resumes. They're not job descriptions. They're people. And we're connecting people. This is a very human-centric approach that we're trying to automate to remove the human element, which, which, which goes against the entire nature of the business and the, the entire nature of the hiring process. Yes. This reminds me to when I was a manager and supervisor. For me, hiring was the most fun part, especially if, so I see the resumes and I will notice the format. Very attractive. Oh my God, it's so busy. So I will look at it lightly and then I will make a phone call. And to me, that was the whole thing. Tell me your story. And the way they reacted, the way they answer. That was, for me, it. And so I, I like to hear what you're saying because it, it's true. It's, tell the story. And then if, if they connect, people will work for you. A lot of the things you just said make me smile to hear you say that. First of all, it should be fun. Hiring is fun because you're meeting people. You're getting to know them. You're understanding their story. And like, even if they can't help you, they're not bad candidates. They're just not right for you right now. There's no bad candidates. It's just not the right time. The unicorn that everybody looks for, we're all unicorns. The unicorn is the right candidate for the right person at the right time. That's a unicorn. We're all unicorns. You just have to find it. 
what you said there made me smile because it's so true. It's, it should be fun. The way you evaluated resumes was looking at the style. So you even, even before you were, you were employing a lot of the same philosophies that I like is you were looking at why and, and you use format as, and as an example, you were looking at why people wrote it the way they did, regardless of what they put in there, because they're, there's, they're trying to play the game to make sure that they get all the keywords, but why they formatted the way gives you a glimpse into their personality a little bit, you know, that tells you something about them that's not the rehearsed version of themselves. That's the real version of themselves. So I love what you just said there and think it, it's refreshing to hear. You're unique in that regard. Maybe unique, but I also feel alone. I'm, I'm glad that you think like that. Also, you caring about the why, it reminds me to the author Star With Why, Simon Sinek. Well, people don't just don't question why. I mean, you mentioned earlier in terms of why is a job description written the way it is? Like, why does it have to be? You'll notice now that all job descriptions are starting to sound the same for the job. And the reason they're doing that is it's a bit of an echo chamber is, you know, you need to write a job description, but all you do is, well, let's just see what our competitors' ones look like. And we're going to cut and paste this and look. So now you're finding that they're all reading the same. So do you tell me all the jobs for sales in tech are the same? No. Even sales within the same company aren't the same. Depending who you're working for, it's very different. You kind of talked about how, you know, you loved creating teams and, and that's something that you, you know, were passionate about in terms of who is going to work with you and, and the people. And I firmly believe that people make decisions on where they want to work based on who they're going to be working for versus the company they're going to be working at, the job title they're going to have. So if that's true, why don't we talk about the hiring manager in the job description? Why are they nowhere to be found? To me, that's my mind. Your boss is going to have the biggest impact on your job. But in the job description, we don't talk about them. Why? That's actually a very good suggestion. Yeah. And I don't think enough people, and I've had this conversation a lot, you know, with candidates that I do before they interview, I say, what are attributes of the best boss you've ever had? And why was it the best boss you've ever had? And people think about it and they list off some things. And I say, now. When you're in the interview, you got to ask questions to see if this boss yes. has those attributes. Because if they don't, it's not the job for you. We'll find you something else. Because honestly, most people leave a job not because of the job, it's because of the boss. So the inverse of that is true. People join a company because the boss is someone they trust, someone they look up to, someone they aspire to be or be like in a career, personal, they're drawn to them. First of all, the fact that they're not on the job description is crazy. But secondly, is the interview is a two-way interview. As much as they're evaluating you, you need to make sure they're a fit for you as well. Because if they're not, it's not going to end well for either one of you. Far too often, I hear that where it's like people don't think about why they liked working for bosses they've liked and what qualities did they have and hold those as sacred when you're exploring for a job. Sure, there's some skills and things you want to learn, but... What about the boss? What do they need to be like in order to give you the confidence and the trust to grow those skills? Otherwise, like I could sell you on a job on paper for sure. If you know, probably the, the, any job I can, I can sell it like all recruiters can, but ultimately I don't have to do the job. The question about what do you like on a manager in many places is ask. The answer from the candidate is like, oh, good communication that they value me. And I feel that it needs 
to be developed more and also ask questions to the interviewer. The other part I find interesting is the culture. How do you approach the answer about how is the culture in the organization, which I know is very difficult because you don't really find that, that out until you are actually working in the company. Culture is one of those things that's a buzzword and it's overused, right? And nobody really knows what it means, to be honest with you. I've been doing this for 14 years. And if you ask somebody, what is culture? They would list attributes of what a good culture is. The culture are is the experience of the team. What do you guys stand for? How do you work? What is the pulse? And that's a hard thing to articulate in words. Because like you said, you have to experience that. You don't know what a culture is until you're in it. The least we can do as recruiters, we give a glimpse of that experience before. It's not the full, but it's more of a glimpse than what you see on a job description is through the conversation, how people say things, what they say, how they respond to crazy questions I ask them gives people a glimpse into what the culture would be like. And that's at least a starting point. Maybe in the future, in the metaverse or something, we'll get to full culture experiences before you apply for a job. But we're at least starting that and moving the needle better than job description. Do you get to meet the employer or the person who is wanted you to help them find an employee? Do you have a relationship? Usually for me, I need to interview people that I'm hiring for to make sure that I believe in them before I can represent them because I don't want to represent somebody that I don't feel like I'm a good fit for. So as much as I own a business and we're trying to grow, not all business is good business. If you value different things than me, then I'm not the right person to represent you. I'd rather work with people that you know are in alignment with me with values in terms of how they treat people, how they look at people, how how they view the hiring process, how they view candidates, how they view the candidate experience and things like retention. And if they're alignment there, then yes, we'll, we'll work together. And then I get to know them before we go live so that I can pull some things out of them that I know that I think is going to be give candidates a full view of who they are as individuals. So the process that you were saying that is that you invite the employer to come for a live interview or kind of like a conversation. And then you invite people that are interested on in the job to come and listen to that chat and perhaps ask questions afterwards? Or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. The best way would be for, I'll give you an example, like I'm going to hire a salesperson for you. We would have a kickoff where we would talk about, okay, let's think outside the box. What skills would set this person up for success the best? Let's not talk about where they've worked or what they've done. What skills, what competencies are going to be the best for this role? We list all those down and then we kind of have a brainstorm session about where all these individuals could come from. We expand the talent pool. So we do that during our kickoff. Then we book a live interview a week from the kickoff. You and I are going to go live on YouTube and LinkedIn to talk about you, to talk about this job particularly. During that week time, I'm taking those lists of skills and I'm proactively inviting people that meet those requirements to come to this live interview. And what I'm saying is, I'm not asking them if they want to apply for the job. I'm saying, hey, are you curious about this role with Daniela? You should come check out this chat I'm doing with her. And if you're interested afterwards, then we can put together an application. And if not, cool. But I think you would be a fit based on these things. So come check it out. Very soft. And what you're doing is you're allowing people to get a glimpse of who you are, 
what you do, how you do it, and you're giving them an experience of the culture before they make a decision if they get to apply. So they get to know you. They get to hear about the job from you versus read about it and just have a job title. We're creating a brand and a personality around you and this job. So once they've seen that and have that, and they say to me, Mike, I saw the chat with Danielle. I have to work with her. She's fantastic for these reasons. So I say, great. Now the application process, we're going to let candidates have the opportunity to video themselves. And you're going to watch that as a, as a hiring manager. So we have a platform that we ask a few open-ended questions. And really, it's just an opportunity for candidates to tell their story beyond the resume. So we give them the, the platform and the opportunity to authentically tell Danielle who you are and what you're all about. Forget about the job description, keywords. The key to this process is the questions come from you, Danielle. During that kickoff, we talk about what are the things that matter to you the most in this job? Candidates get the opportunity to talk to the things that matter. They don't have to guess. They're not guessing on what you want to hear based on the resume and the job description. And, oh, it sounds like they're going to want a candidate like this. So I'm going to write my resume like this. It's no, here's the questions that matter the most. And you get to speak authentically to yourself and your experience and tell your story. That's our process. And I truly believe that it's the future of hiring because it's human centered. It is amazing. And I like that. I find that companies should be doing this process already. And I like the video because I tell you an example for the podcast. People send me, this is my story. And when I read it, I'm like, yeah, okay, another story. When I meet the person through video, I'm like enchanted. The words never reflect the same as your smile. Yeah, yeah your mannerisms. Yeah, your mannerisms, your, your passion, everything. I'm more into meeting people than, than reading. So yes, yeah, so I'm glad that you're doing this process. So step one, step two, and then... And the, the beauty is, is once you get to an interview, it's a much more productive conversation because not only has the candidate seen you speak about you, what your team does, what your company does for 20, 30 minutes, but now you as a hiring manager have seen them on video too talk about the things that matter the most to you. So when you jump on that interview, you can jump right into those things right away. You don't have to have that 15 minute fluff conversation about, Here's the job. Here's what I'm about. Here's the expectations. Here's the roles and responsibilities. Now tell me about yourself. That 15 minutes that you normally do in an interview, gone. What happens now? You jump on and you'd say, Mike, I saw the video. What I loved about your response and I'd love to dig deeper on is when you said X, Y, and Z. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you say because you already know each other. Now think about how much deeper you can go in an interview if that's where it starts versus where the other one starts. You know, you have to kind of create those moments and get to that point, which is usually 30, 45 minutes in, and now you're almost wrapping things up. So we're able to have more productive, meaningful conversations from the first conversation forward. We're running a, a campaign now for a client in the US. We did this. They're hiring a sales team. We sent six candidates with the videos. After watching, she's like, I want to interview all six of them. She interviewed all six and she said, if I had six headcount, I would hire all of them right now. She's like, she's like, you'll never get me to admit this, but some people I hired last month, I wish I didn't because I want to hire these. It was just based on more meaningful conversations. She got to know them right away in, in these hour chats. It's critical, I find, to give more information up front on who you are as an individual to see if it's worthy of a deeper conversation or not. Yes. No, that's great. I'm glad that you're doing this. 
So what's next? What else are you planning to do? Take this to the next level? Yeah, I'm constantly tweaking. I think what we're doing at giving candidates an opportunity to experience the culture through a live interview is the start. I don't know how we can make that better, but I'm open and curious and going to constantly learn to make that better. Right now, it's it's getting a great response because it's so different and refreshing than a job description. But if we've learned anything about the hiring process or any process, as soon as you stop innovating and learning is when it becomes stale and outdated. So we're going to constantly be trying to find more effective ways at bringing that experience to light as we go. But I don't know how that is going to look. And that excites me. But it's true. The resumes have changed and evolved. And the job descriptions have not changed at all in a million years. And I feel that it needs to be realistic and simple and authentic. It is true also that sometimes HR doesn't have the manpower. But like, that's why I believe HR departments should be set up like sales and marketing. The way sales and marketing departments target customers and what they know about customers and how they're obsessed with the customer experience and the journey. But then when you hear companies talk, what's the most important asset they always say? It's the people. (laughs) But where's the resources there? And the embarrassing thing is for someone that's in the industry, The fact that we're still using job descriptions would be equivalent to sales and marketing still using coupons as the only source of trying to get new customers. Wow, that's insightful. Yes. It's just just organizations. They're just not getting the resources. I don't believe it's HR's fault. I think it's, it's the setup in terms of how organizations are set. They're not setting themselves up for success. Hiring is everybody's job. Just like just like sales is everybody's job and the customer service is everybody's job, candidate attraction and how you attract talent is everybody's job. But for some reason, it's okay that that's just HR and HR is going to get me resumes. And if they don't get me resumes, it's HR's fault. No, no, no. Everybody's responsible for this. We need to change the mind shift organizationally and stop claiming that people are your biggest asset and make them your biggest asset by investing time, resources to that mandate. Yes, wise, wise, thank you. Tell me, when do you have to reject somebody? In these 14 years, I'm sure you have had a client that you're like, okay, no, we're not going to help you. Yes, I did. It was a executive level individual at a big company. I was introduced to them through a connection and I was chatting with them about hiring and they needed to hire a full-timer at a fairly senior level. They said to me that they needed to hire a woman or a minority Because they have, as part of their bonus, they have a diversity ratio that if they could hit, it would unlock a bonus for them. So they only want to see diversity candidates. And again, this was another catalyst for why I believe so much in Spark is because diversity isn't a checklist. And it's not something that should be compensated for or done that way. They're never going to have diverse talent on their team, this individual. Even if Somebody, and it wasn't me because I declined it, even if somebody was to hire what they classify as diverse on their team, they're not set up for success. They don't value diversity. They don't want diversity. They want the bonus. They're not interested in diversity of thought, injection of different backgrounds and experiences to attack problems from different lenses to change things. That's not what they're interested in. Clients that are, I am more than happy to represent them because when they speak about diversity, guess what happens? Diverse talent gravitates towards them. They want to work for them because of how they view diversity. Whereas 
other individuals that see it that way, I will never represent or work for people like that. Unfortunately, there are people like that. Any suggestions on how we can tackle that? The way I believe you attack that to start is don't make it so specific in terms of what diversity is. Don't be so shallow in terms of what diversity is. And during our kickoff, we expand the talent pool to attract diverse talent without making it so obvious. And, and I'll give you an example is I'm recruiting for a cybersecurity company. That's a very technical industry. It's very intimidating for a lot of people that don't have that experience, that cybersecurity specific experience. So what that breeds is more and more people that have just done it, which if you, if you look at it on the, on the surface, it's white men that have always worked in cybersecurity. And if you want people that have experience, then you're going to get more white men. If you're going to expand and allow for diversity, and you're going to look for people that don't have that experience and have never worked in this industry, okay, now what skills do they need to upgrade? That's the next level. And now you're going to get diversity from outside the industry that have different skill sets. That's a diverse skills that are going to come in. So if you attack it from a skill perspective, and don't be so narrow and with your skill set focus, that's a starting point to allow for diversity to come in. But the leadership has to be in a way that they value that and they want it. It's not just something that they're doing to appease the higher ups. They see value in bringing diverse talent in. Like that needs to be at the core of what they believe is a leader. Right on point with that. And I am glad that you are sharing the story in many, many podcasts. And eventually I hope that you also get into a TED Talk. <laughs> Maybe. You know what? If, if so, then I'm going to credit you for helping with platforming. It's been amazing. And I can't thank you enough for having me on. It's, it's, been, it's been so much fun. Yes. Thank you so much, Mike, bringing this subject that I love. Glad that you are changing one little drop at a time. Next time in 10 years or 20 years, when we see the new job descriptions, I'm like, okay, Mike was here. <laughs> That's great. I hope so. I hope so. Great. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela, and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto.